Welcome to our podcast today on Small Business Horsepower. Your Small Business Horsepower podcast, you can find it on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on our website at smallbusinesshorsepower.com. Today, we are so pleased to have Ronak Shah with us. Ronak is gonna, I'm, I'm very excited about this podcast. I was reading some stuff here. He had $250,000 in revenue the first year on his current business, and he took that baby to about $18 million after three years. I was reading all about it, and I can't wait to find out how he got there and some other interesting information for our small business horsepower listeners. Ronak, welcome to the program today on Small Business Horsepower. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on and um, excited to share a little bit about the journey. So, uh, you know, thank you again for having yeah, well, let's get it started. I do want to mention that you were featured in Inc. Magazine, uh, you know, one of the uh, top 22 entrepreneurs, and then EY Entrepreneur of the Year. So you've got it all going. But I think what we should do is go back to the roots of this at Pace or Bentley. You want to talk about your background a little bit here? Absolutely. So I was actually an accounting major right after graduating with an accounting degree. So I was going on the big four route. Got the opportunity to start as a controller for a startup supplement brand back in 2012. And I uh, basically took that leap of faith with the hopes of kind of, you know, trying to see if, if something else could work out for me because I could always kind of come back to my roots in accounting. So I uh, took that role, got the opportunity to work for an extremely fast growing supplement brand, one of the fastest growing back in 2012. It was called Shreds. And uh, we incubated a couple other brands like Skinny.com and Flavor Got Seasonings all health and wellness brands. At the peak, we had grown it to about a $100 million run rate. And um, one, of the, one of the best learning experiences, we used to work two shifts. You had to live in the same building that the, the office was in. It was one of the most kind of like Wolf of Wall Street meets like a complete uh, incubation facility. And so really, really cool experience. You know, was young, got to do that, worked there for about almost three years, met some really great people there. Two people in particular, we really synced up really well. One was uh, Ashwin Malwani and the other was Ankit Patel, who today served as my co-founders on Obvi. Us three were kind of like right under the C-suite of shreds. And uh, we were kind of like the actual tactical people running things and doing things. With that being said, you know, we loved our experience at Shreds, but we said, hey, could we one day do this on our own? Can we build our own brand one day, you know? And so we thought that um, we were still young to do that. So we found like a, the most methodical next step, which was, what if we started a marketing agency, which would serve to help health and wellness brands? We take what we learned at Shreds. And then from there, you know, go from seeing what we could apply. And uh, so we started uh, in 2015, we left Shreds and we started a marketing agency, just the three of us called Ghost3 Media. We scavengered up some clients and uh, we started getting to work. We have three distinct skill sets and mine's ops, finance, a little bit of marketing. My other partner, he was a uh, fully paid marketing and my other partner was creative design and web development. So we could have a lot of coverage between the three of us. So we kind of went in as almost like a mechanic, started working for different brands um, as, as they were our clients. And uh, really helped grow their digital footprint in the health and wellness space. Learned a lot, learned a lot of what to do, learned a lot of what not to do. And then 2019 came around, you know, after eight years of working together, we basically said, let's see if we can take a leap of faith and build our own brand. And, and that was kind of the start of Obvi. Well, let me ask a question right there. It's one of my questions that I was going to get to. Let me get to it right now. So when I started my business, one of the things that I said to myself is, I'm never going to have partners. I just felt like I know that it's going to take a lot longer to grow a company. But 
it was just something in my mind, like, but who is to say I'm right? I mean, look at this thing. I mean, you guys have taken off on a rocket and you three have been together. But tell me about the challenges of having a partnership. The good things, obviously, about it. I mean, you can grow faster. You bring different skill sets, as you just mentioned. But I'm sure there's some challenges. And did you think long and hard about that before you took the partnership aspect route? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, for us, we had such a you know tough time dealing with people always kind of saying the same lines of oh don't work with your best friend we actually all sir outside of work we're best friends with each other too so we were all best men at each other's weddings we're like you know just inseparable in both in the office and outside of the office for the last now 11 plus years and so for us we were got a lot of like don't do this don't do this with your best friends and i think what people often don't realize is they suggest not working with your friends or sometimes even partners when you have very overlapping skill sets. Because then what happens is as you grow, you still have to pick one methodology to grow your brand or grow your business or take the next step. What was really unique for us is us three play in our completely own category and lane, right? So I handled ops and finance. My other partner handled design and web development, which I know nothing about, right? So what he said went. My other partner handled paid marketing and Facebook advertising. We don't know. The other two of us don't know much about that. So what he says went. And as we kept growing and doing and and perfecting our crafts, right, we all said, you know, we may have opinions, but at the end of the day, each person will own their domain. And we were lucky and blessed enough to where each domain was so separated in the business that I couldn't get into someone else's lane because I didn't want to overstep. So for us, our partnership worked and works today because we don't know enough about the other person's playing field. And if we do know enough, we still trust the other person's judgment as the final call. So I think the pro for us was having three very distinct partners. The cons is as we've scaled the business, we're in different places of our life, right? Personally speaking, you know, I just had a baby, married, you know, going into kind of the next phase and chapter of my life where as my one other partner is just freshly engaged and another partner is just freshly dating, right? And so how you start to evolutionize how Obvi will grow and what is the exit step? Because we, you know, we've always had exit on our mind, but now everyone's timeline may be a little bit different, right? Good part is, is we communicate really well of, hey, if any one of us want out of this, all of us want out of it. And I think the great part is, is because our lives mesh so much on and off the court, there's just this cyclical talk and understanding of, I understand where you are in life, so we'll adjust to that. Or I'll understand where you are in life and I'll adjust to that. And I think we're just able to just be on the same page and um, I think it just works. But yeah, it it is different for some people who have two co-founders or three co-founders that overlap a lot. Yeah, I think you hit on two things there. One is the overlap element that you don't have. And I think that really makes it because if you two, three or two, three were doing the same thing, then all of a sudden you're on top of each other saying, no, I want to do it this way. I want to do it that way. But the other thing that's quite interesting is you admitted that all three of you are in different places of your lives. But I guess you have that pack saying, if one of us wants to forget about it or get out of this, that all of us will do that. Because that's where the first threat starts. We're like, "Uh oh, what if he wants to get out of this? now what do I do you know so but you guys you're comfortable with that right you've already decided that 
Exactly. And because we've decided that, I think it's a mutual understanding of it's it's not just one person's event's gonna trigger everything. I think we've always built Obvi with the mindset of, okay, let's get it to an acquisition point. So one could be a huge life event that could change everything, which even with all of our life events, nothing like that has happened. But the other thing is, is we have a goal, right? A, a target number that we've always been on the same page about. And so we're kind of tracking to that. Now, what changes here is, is just the timeline of hitting that goal. If it extends, overextends, then maybe what we'll have is a conversation to to push up others. Right. And that brings me to the question that I had for much later on, but let's get right to it now. I see that you started this crowdfunding initiative. Uh, I've seen that in horse racing, which I like as well, but I want to get a little bit more information on how that works. But also the fact that I read that you raised, which is incredible, two million bucks in less than five weeks from friends and family. So my second rule when I I started my business is one, I'm not having a partner. And two, I'm not doing business with friends and family. And here you go with number two. Now you're inviting in friends and family into this thing. Explain the crowdfunding concept, how it works, and how and the risks of bringing in friends and family into this thing. That's a, that's a great point. And um, it was something that we were maybe a little bit hesitant to do. But what happened was for us, we have, we're raising capital because we have just way too much opportunity and we feel that the, the time to strike on those opportunities is right now. I think it's for us, we're seeing this economic downturn post-pandemic, post-inflation, pre-recession, post-supply chain nightmare time where everyone's becoming gun-shy, pulling back. And we're looking at our plate and saying, hey, there's a quite a big few big opportunities. What's the best time to strike on these? And we think it's now, right? And I think the biggest piece to this is if we can double down on our efforts now, we could possibly pull away from some of the competitors in our space, some of the factors that people are facing. Now, with that, all that being said, raising capital became the overarching goal here because we can't take on these opportunities without capital. We're an eight-person eight team. We've been bootstrapped for three years, and you just can't do it with it with the capital we have. And so with all that being said, when we knew capital was going to be the answer, raising capital. One of the things that came up was, well, you know, throughout these years, we've been building up be kind of publicly. Right? We're super, super talkative about it on Twitter, LinkedIn, with our family, our friends. We're super transparent with our numbers, super transparent on how we built it. We're not one of those believers in, hey, I don't want to give away trade secrets, right? We believe, um, you know, if the whole world can learn from each other, it's how we built up. We learn from the builds businesses we helped build previously. With all that being said, a lot of people followed our journey friends, family, in-network, followers on LinkedIn, followers on Twitter, other founders, even other podcast hosts, right? And people were just like, hey, I'd, I'd love to, if you ever raise capital, I know you're bootstrap, but if you ever raise, I'd love to, to get in. And so we you know, kind of set out and said, okay, what if we um, tap into our, our network of founders, Twitter, LinkedIn, our little bit of friends and family, and just ask them and see if they're still interested, right? And our day one, reaching out to maybe like, 20, 30 closest people between us turned into like 20 to 30 closest people saying, yeah, send me the link. I'm in. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Didn't expect a hundred percent hit rate and, you know, decent check sizes, even though the minimum was small. And we're like, okay, well, what if we like just go to like tier two or like a little bit more out there and we were still at a hundred percent hit rate. And we're like, okay, looks like we've done a good job maybe 
sharing and talking about Abbey to where people are interested. And it is a great opportunity. Obviously, we're not here to rip people off. And so I think it was a really good, you know, price buying and stuff like that. With all that being said, it turned into like a group of family or friends or in-network DTC founders, et cetera, also wanted to bring their network. And they're like, oh, well, what about their network's network? And so it started becoming like this pipeline of like, you know, at one point, our link was just getting shared to people. And only thing we asked was, we just hope that people understand this is a three to five year investment, right? And uh, not to call the next day and say, hey, how's my money doing, right? Uh, or when can I get my money back? And, you know, as long as people understood that, we were happy to have them on. And um, I think because we're not going to change anything we do, which is we're still going to build in public, we're still going to talk about it, we're still going to be very transparent. It felt like it was okay to involve everyone because we've talked about even some of the bad things that have happened for us or some of the challenges. And so we're going to continue to do that. So I think that's all of that is kind of important in that context. But yeah, I think we took that conscious effort partly because it was a good way to get friends and family involved, which then kind of, I think, turned into a much bigger network play. And uh, I think we're happy to where it turned out to. Yeah. And I guess what I always worried about was like, if I did business with the bank, it's not that I don't want to pay back my banker, but they kind of know what they're getting into. That's what they do for a living is if they believe in what you're doing, they lend you money. Now, if I lend family man, person lends me money and I something goes wrong and I can't pay them back, how am I going to look them in the eyes and say, you know what? This was business. I couldn't do anything. So you have to ask yourself too the question, correct? I mean, oh, yeah. I think any family member that invested in us, the first thing I said before they sent in the money, when they gave us a soft commitment, I said was, um, there's a good chance you lose all of this money, right? But I'm still going to see you for Thanksgiving, or I may see you for Christmas, or I may see you at a party. And you're going to have to look at me and say, uh, you lost all my money. And are you okay with that? Because if you're not, and you can't stomach investing this, then one, consider bringing them out down because we're overfunded anyway. Or two, don't invest because I don't want this to affect anything. If anything, I want you to look at this as a way to support us and you coming along for the journey. That journey could be rocky, bumpy, or really smooth. I don't know. But that's how I want you to look at this. And at the end of the day, no one has invested life-changing money into us, right? So I don't want it, and again, relatively speaking, right? For for some people, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars can be life changing. But from the relative people who have invested in us, no one's invested life changing money, so it should not change our relationship. And that's kind of how we're just again, just super like black and white about it. And I think when it comes down to like, hey, we're raising this capital, and we don't necessarily need your money, and it's more of, I would love to give you this opportunity to come in. It changes that dynamic. So I think the biggest thing for us was um, when it comes down to friends and family, it turned into where because the money that we were raising from them wasn't like a, hey, we really need this capital or else we're not going to survive. And more so, hey, we have enough capital to survive. And in any case, we can, you know, we don't need to raise this. And it's more opportunity, exploration capital, and really us taking bets on really growing this into the future, they themselves understood this as a bet that they're taking too, right? Like, hey, half of this money is going into us scoring licensing deals with Kellogg's, Arizona Ice Tea, and Snapple, right? Those licensing deals may or may not work, right? And But look at what we're actually going up against. We're going up against trying to get some of the biggest names as a licensing deal, right? 
that's a bet you want to take, right? So I think we position this much, much more so as a bet that they're taking on, not so much as, hey, we're helping out Obvi and they need our capital. Otherwise, there's a chance Obvi doesn't survive. And so I almost, I hate to say we're gambling, but I think people, the way they positioned themselves into this was, okay, let's take this gamble. Let's see how this goes. And hopefully they hit it big with some of these big bets they're taking, which is why we're raising the capital, right? It's all these opportunities, whether it's retail, licensing deals, growing the team, or even getting a celebrity on board to be the voice and and face of the brand. These are big bets. Yeah. And I'll tell you, by the way, you're listening to Ronak Shah today. I'm so happy to have him today on Small Business Horsepower for our small business listeners. Ronak, let's talk a little bit about Avi, what it does, what it is, what type of company it is. This is very exciting. Like I was saying, you took it to about 18 million in three years. That's unbelievable. But I'm reading this thing here, which I really was interested in. I read something where you wrote here at Avi, we believe the industry as it is currently is, is facing a phenomenon which is known as the paradox of choice. I love that thing, paradox of choice, because as I was reviewing this profile of the company in preparation for the podcast, there was one thought going through my mind. There are so many brands out there, so many things. So how does Avi separate it? And then the other thing I read was, you know, you talked about transparency without having to sacrifice taste. Get into all that here a little bit, because there's so much stuff out there. How do we decide we want to go with Avi? Yes, that's that's exactly the case. I think One of the biggest pieces to all this, right, is when you look at even the understanding around, let's just take, forget collagen for a second. Let's just look at health and wellness, right? It's great to have so many options and so many brands and so many things out there. However, where do you get started, right? And that's why so many brands and so many companies, they get stuck, right? They may acquire fast or or, or they may live on hype and, and that kind of just fizzles out. And I think that's mainly because there's five new brands because there's no barrier to entry right nowadays and in so many different industries that this paradox of choice is happening, right? It's like, well, choice is great, but now what do I choose, right? And so I think for us, what we were trying to do here with Obvi was we're going to make it so damn obvious for you that you shouldn't even think about choosing anything besides us, right? We're the prettiest label on the shelf. We're the tastiest formula out there. If you turn the label and you look at the formula, we're the strongest collagen formula on the market. We're made in the USA, right? We have great community, right? One of the largest for collagen, 55,000 active women. And we have 32 other SKUs you can try and increase your well-being through all the other SKUs. And so we wanted to make it so obvious that although there are so many choices out there, why wouldn't you just pick up right? And so what we call it is, it's, you know, many people call it the triple threat. We call it um, our octopus threat, which is we have like eight different reasons. It's so obvious to pick Obvi. So that was kind of became like our moat and like, hey, this is what's going to drive us. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing. What I have an interest in is I'm sure I went on the shopping carts. Amazing. But I went on, I looked at, you know, how is it, how easy it is to buy the stuff online and stuff. But then I also typed in my zip code and found availability of this stuff at different health food kind of places or vitamin places or these places. And I guess my question is, how do you guys, 
how much, what's your thinking? Uh, is the website traffic most of the business or do you still believe that there's a long-term vision for the retail side of the operation where you type in your zip code and you go find your stuff at one of these vitamin places? Yeah. And, and I think that it's a good question because I don't know if it's a shift. I think it's the way shoppers are basically purchasing now. Like what I mean by that is, is like, you know, I hate the word omni-channel because it's like, I think it's overused and not and, and under understood. <laughs> it's just not explained well. But I think what's happening now is people know what they want. And what they want is a convenience to buy it when they need it. And so you kind of look at someone like a Liquid IV, for example, right? Well, Liquid IV did was they started off online and Amazon and did great. And then it got to a point where people were like, huh, I'm traveling or I'm in this place and I need it, right? So retail dominance for them came from just having accessibility. They actually didn't even do that much in-store promo. They didn't do too much of, uh, of the marketing of being in retail. They were just in retail for accessibility. And I think it's such an important piece to understand now. It's like, accessibility is what retail, I think, is becoming. Instead of it being, hey, this is a retail brand or this is an online brand. I want to be omnipresent. You know, why I don't think it's omnichannel is you're still trying to segregate it then. What I want to be is anywhere you're looking for Obvi, I want to be there. So if you look on Amazon, I better be the first thing that pops up. Or if you're going into a vitamin shop or GNC, I better be there. You know, soon enough, a Walmart or Target, I should be there too. If you're turning the corner and you're at a gas station, my protein bar should be in the checkout aisle, right? And you start to become omnipresent to where Avi starts becoming part of a lifestyle and a habit. And I think that's how I at least look at retail and how I think a lot of people need to start looking at retail, right? I mean, even look at beverage brands, right? The rise of beverage brands has just been crazy, especially in this hard seltzer category, right? But the thing is, is they're showing up in more places that weren't, didn't used to be a thing, right? And I think that's how I look at retail. You know, I'm maybe a little bit different from others, but yeah, that's, uh, I think that's how we're going to kind of go at it with Obvi. Yeah, that's a great point because it used to be, I think it's like, a, I don't know how to explain it, but maybe you'll understand it. Like it was kind of like, okay, I got to go uh, try on my shoes. So I got to go to a sporting goods store. Now Amazon can send it to me. I can have them here tomorrow and I can try them on and I can return them for free. So why should I go to a store? So that satisfaction of getting it in one day and having it. But now, to your point, we're getting so spoiled that sometimes we even feel like one day's too long. So now we want to go back to the store and have it in 10 minutes, you know? So the store comes back into play. You, know? <laughs> you nailed it. I mean, it's crazy because Amazon itself is competing. I read a really good article. It's Amazon is competing against itself in a way. What I mean by that is they started with two-day guaranteed, right? Then after buying Whole Foods, they started coming out with one-day for grocery delivery. And then GoPuff came out with a same-day delivery. And then Amazon combated that with two to three-hour delivery, okay? And now the most recent, if you have Whole Foods near a five-mile radius, they offer one-hour delivery, okay? And so you're realizing that People have to create, own companies have to create products that are self-cannibalizing, right? It's like what you said, two days now seems ridiculous. Like, wait, really? I have to wait two days? You know, whereas a year and a half, two years ago, or even three years ago, two days was, wow, 
I get this in two days. Why would I go into the store? So exactly. It's, it's just a constant shift and back and forth. Wow. That's probably why they bought Whole Foods. Now they can play it each way. You want to go get it? You get it there. You want to get it online? You get it here. And you, we've got both sides covered, right? Well, you know what? What do you want our listeners to know about Avi? You know, also before you go, I've never done something like this, but I was just thinking of it. Like, give me one challenge that you faced in building this business that you never anticipated. And give me one thing that you guys are the most, you know, happy with or proud of that you didn't even anticipate happening. And here you are. Yeah, great question. One challenge I did not anticipate was building... A in-house team was always hard, right? Hard hiring and stuff like that. I did not realize how much harder it's going to be post-pandemic. It is one of the biggest challenges for me. And the reason it's a challenge is even during the whole pandemic, we never shut down our office. We all go into the office four to five times a week. Everyone is required to be in the office. We have no remote staff. And it's purely because we're a small team. I believe that being tactical, everyone sitting on the floor, being super dynamic is important for our company's growth. Post-pandemic and, and pre-pandemic too, it was hard to find the right staff that wants to work in a town like Kearney, New Jersey, which is you know a little bit um, suburbia, you can call it. And so post-pandemic, I haven't been able to hire a single person because the spoilage that's come from, wait, you are saying that you want me to come to a physical location? Yeah, everybody wants to work from home. Everybody wants to. Nobody wants to get in the traffic. And there's a lot of people that got that check, which I'm not saying they needed it. They certainly did. But some of them didn't go back. They enjoyed watching Dr. Phil, and here they are. There was a stat. It was a really cool stat I was reading. The most used filter now in job search. I'll, I'll let you guess. What do you think it is now? The most used filter in a job search. So if you're looking for a remote the word remote, remote work. Remote only. Came the most used job filter in a job search, right? So right there, that number one filter completely filters out my company. Forget the stuff we've done. Forget the possibility of working for a quote-unquote, relatively speaking, great brand, okay? I'm completely out of network for majority of job seekers, Okay. So I'm combating against that. Now I have a pool of people who maybe I don't even know if I'm even getting access to the right talent. So for me, that was the biggest challenge. I think the biggest win or biggest success, or I think you coined it as, as something I didn't expect. Is that correct? Biggest piece to it was I did not expect us to attract the customer base we did. What I mean by that is uh, when we built this brand, Obvi, it was a brand that was supposed to be for millennials in a way to start taking collagen earlier because you're really supposed to. Most people who take collagen, they're a little bit older and they take it because they're told to, or they take it because they're hitting a certain age, you can call it. So with that being said, what we ended up hitting was a demo that's older, but that wants to feel younger. And what was really cool out of that, it was like, we're able to use a young brand and make people feel more confident and younger. And that was a really, really awesome takeaway for us. I may have to start that today. After every golf swing, I want to feel a little bit younger. I'm feeling older. <laughs> well, Ronak, it's been really a pleasure to have you with us today. We ran out of time, but uh, we hope you'll come back on the program. It was great having you today on Small Business Horsepower. 
Oh, I would love to. And thank you for uh, crafting some refreshing questions. And, uh, you know, it's usually always just tell me the story, but this is much more tactical in what we've done and much more critical thinking. So I appreciate you having me on and would love to come back on. Okay. Thank you so much.